Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast physically unable to show any form of contrition whatsoever. My name's Corey Hazelhurst, I'm par- and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hi, Corey. The last time Steve and I were podcasting in this scenic and rather warm nuclear bunker at the moment, Boris Johnson was Prime Minister. Boris Johnson said that he will leave office. We're going to summarise his many, many achievements in office, and then we'll start reflecting on a bit of a week in British politics. And when the history books are written, Steve, undoubtedly Boris Johnson will write at least one of them because he will be paid. I feel confident in saying this and making a prediction, despite what we're going to talk about, that he will be paid an obscene amount of money by some publisher or other to write a memoir, which will undoubtedly be terrible. Um, Yeah, will almost undoubtedly be complete fabrications and not demonstrate the truth at all. Boris Johnson will look us all in the eye and say this is exactly how it happened. It might be that the role of the Not Enough Champagne podcast in hastening Boris Johnson's demise may be overlooked. So we should probably just put on record now as this first draft of history, the role that we have played by essentially saying for quite a while that he'll remain in office. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so there's the, there's the long-term, uh, as any good historians know, there's the long-term structural factors. There's also the very short-term factor that I went to the House of Commons the first time last Wednesday, July the 6th it would have been, and then the following day Boris Johnson resigned. And I'm not saying that's a coincidence, but it may well have been my refusal to serve in a government of national unity that prompted him to make a resignation speech. <laughs> So, so we've got that. There's also the fact that, as as those on Patreon will know, we were we thought we'd record things for our champagners on Patreon. And hello and thank you to all of you. Um, and I recorded hot tips full of insider Westminster gossip, and confidently predicted that if I had a tenner, Steve, I would bet on the Sag to win the whole race, and he's already been eliminated. <laughs> so well, he didn't get to the votes. He 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 stood down before. Before he even got to that point, so yeah, no, um, in, in, yeah, because I'm not on a champagne. Truly, does live on, and today it hit Jeremy Hunt. So we're recording this soon after the first ballot that happens on Wednesday. I predicted that Jeremy Hunt would stay in because Rishi Sunak would lend him votes, and Suella Braverman or, or Beaverman, I think I'm going to call now after your WhatsApp uh, typo, and Nadim Tahai would um, would stay in. So I say Beaverman would go. And Sahawi would stay, and that was wrong as well. So I'm not for three, not for five, in fact, in all of my predictions. Consistency is a good thing. I it just with this weird inverse power that we have. So <laughs> one thing though that that you've gotten right is that I think you said about a year ago. Uh, we, we I think we've generally I think usually been on the Boris Johnson's quite useless and would eventually go at some point. And you said that. When it happens, it won't be a massive thing. It will be death of a thousand cuts. And that's essentially what has happened with Johnson's demise, isn't it? Is that the, the, 
pretty shocking and lurid Chris Pincher revelations were just the final act of a government in complete and absolute chaos. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, you, the, the Chris Pincher stuff is so unusual in many ways, though. Not not for the fact that not because of the fact that oh, the government lied again, or Boris Johnson's government lied yet again, but for the fact that on the Today program you basically had a former member of the civil service who now sits, I believe, in the House of Lords, basically phone in and say. Hello. Would you like? Would you like me to disprove everything that Bar- the government has been saying on this over the week? So everything they've said over the weekend, and they, of course, went, "Yes, please. Can you can you do that now?" And he went, "Yes." I was. I personally told the government X Y Z. I know somebody else told them X Y Z. The fact, the, the everything that they are claiming to 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 have said about this or know about this is a lie. Like I am prepared to go on the record about this. That statement in and of itself is a huge, huge bombshell. And that ultimately is probably what led to Johnson's demise, because it was just yet another massive thing, which meant that the issue just wasn't going to go away. And seemingly both Javid and Sunak came, apparently came to separate decisions to, uh, to, to, to resign. They weren't coordinating, which I think, given the uh, absolute clusterwoolus of what happened over the next couple of days from that point, it's, 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 that, that seems to be the case, because if it had been more coordinated, it might have gone a lot smoother for the, uh, for the, for the rebels, at least somewhat. But instead, it just became a drip, 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 drip of people coming and going. Um, but yeah, the pinch of stuff is just so, so typical of Johnson. It's a mistake was made. Well, it was something's happened in terms of the initial allegations that were made against Pincher. Johnson doesn't care because Pincher's a loyal friend and ally and wants to reward him for that. Gives him the job as being deputy whip. Then it comes out that well, then more allegations arise, and then the government lies about it. It's a cookie cutter approach that the government has taken on pretty much every every issue. Deny that there was a problem, lie about what they knew about it, and then eventually get get castigated over the over the burning coals because it turns out they did know. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So it's the uh, again I sort of said this on some of the Patreon stuff that I was recording. You've got. The complete cluster of chaos where you have a man appointed as Deputy Chief Whip who's meant to have a pastoral role who is known to be predatory, especially when they've had a drink or two. You have the situation where the number 10 line not only constantly changes, but they are telling ministers things that aren't true. And so part of that... um, the reason why it was a complete Johnson's government completely falling apart. People like Will Quince and Theresa Kofi, who were assured by number 10 this was the line, which turned out then to be completely 180 degrees within 24 hours of them coming on the news. And just other discipline had broken down. So another example I talked about was Greg Hans, who's still a, a government minister, tweeted out criticising the government's policy to scrap the civil service fast stream for a couple of years. You've got ministers openly tweeting, critical of government policy, and yet facing no disciplinary action. Yeah. Everything seems to have have broken down at that point. So the Pincher stuff, absolutely the final straw. The the Sag, I think, proving Heseltine's maxim once again, I suppose, isn't it, that whoever wields the dagger doesn't necessarily then get to wear the crown. 
probably a couple of the things we should probably talk about before we sort of go into what's more happened more recently. One of them is the sacking of Michael Gove, which is just funny, and Johnson calling Gove a snake, which I haven't heard as an insult since I stopped teaching 13-year-olds. <laughs> but again, you had a Dan Hanan sort of political obituary of Johnson saying that he was without malice, and I think the sacking of Michael Gove sort of kiboshes that slightly. Yeah, 100%. Given that there were, as you say, people who were openly critical of the government's policies and agenda working in the government and weren't being reprimanded or fired from their position, the fact that he made a point of getting rid of Gove after all of that, when I would I would assume Gove must have been one of the first people to turn around and sell him, time's up, lad. Hmm. He suggests that there was a, a, at least a wee bit of malice in there. Also, um, you mentioned the Lord Macdonald revelations, which sort of blew the whole affair open when it turned out that what the Matem was saying wasn't true. Richard Norton Taylor, who used to be the Guardian's defence correspondent, who works now for Declassified UK, wrote a, it was an odd article, essentially saying, uh, talking about how the Lord Macdonald, as well as people like Lord Guite and uh, Jonathan Jones, who used to be the government's legal officer, that this was part of the UK's permanent government, or in the sort of deep state is the US analogy. Mm -hmm. This is part of them bringing down Boris Johnson because of his pro-Remain views, which doesn't really work for me because, it, it, I mean, this doesn't feel like you know, some sort of shadow coup against Harold Wilson in the mid-70s, sort of the you know, shadowy CIA involvement or whatever. Like you have, like Lord MacDonald went out of his way to contact number 10 to say, this isn't true, didn't get any reply. And that's when it went through. Like this, it sort of Rich Norton Taylor seems to hint that this is all sort of some backlash over Brexit, which just seems well. It's 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 the standard thing where everything on, from a certain type of right winger has to be viewed through the through the lens of Brexit because it's the it's become their raison d'être, and you can kind of say it to a degree in the uh, in the, uh, the Tory Party and like leadership election that's 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 now ongoing, which obviously we'll talk about a bit more anyway in a bit. Um, but yeah, so there's just a certain type of right winger who's just like still obsessed with, with that. And it, it can't be that something's gone wrong or that, you know, they've gotten, they've, they've screwed up. It must be malicious. It must be because, um, of this one thing where, where they were proven to be the, on the right side of history, quote unquote, from their perspective in that they won the vote. And it's strange, isn't it? Because uh, Richard Norton Taylor is not someone I know terribly well, but again, work for the Guardian. So the assume his policy, okay, works on defense and security. I imagine maybe that sort of attacks a certain type of ideology, ideological bent. But, you know, working for the Guardian, you're not exactly talking about some sort of fervent, Brexiter, but it, it, this this idea that somehow it's the British permanent government or deep state that have brought down his democratic elected leader is just ludicrous when it's been brought down by their own actions. Yeah, ultimately, if Javid and Sunak hadn't resigned, Johnson would have still carried on in that in, as, as PM, regardless of what was said by by Lord Macdonald. Like it was only the fact that two of the heaviest hitters in the cabinet resigned over the issue that anything was brought brought to a head. We've seen time and time again so many issues which under which if it had been any other government at any other time, you know, the heavy hitters would have resigned already. But they didn't, and Johnson got to continue on. Eventually, political gravity caught up with him and Javid and uh, Sunak in that order called it quits. 
And lo and behold, the standard rules of politics do in fact apply to Boris Johnson. And if you can't actually form a, a sufficiently uh, loyal cabinet in any capacity, you lose. <laughs> On that subject, so something which got lost in the whole 50 resignations followed by Boris Johnson's resignation thing was that Boris Johnson met with next KGB agent, Alexander Lebedev, yeah. without any security, two days after attending a high-level NATO summit that focused on Russia, whose son... Johnson appointed to the House of Lords and runs a, the Evening Standard. Yeah, I mean, that story alone. I mean, we know that there is a report on Russian influence sat in number 10, waiting to be published. That has been there for years at this point. The minute that gets published, we are, I suspect, going to see a whole what raft of kind of like statements and allegations about would not shock me Boris Johnson in there, um, as well as probably a load of other like Tory... Um, grandees in some capacity um, because it's the only reason that would have been slept on for so long it just it makes the profumo scandal look like someone's keeping rabbits in a castle flat by comparison yeah it's a, a bizarre um and a, a, apparently this is the the meeting that boris johnson sort of drank so much that he uh was at the airport looking like he kind of couldn't stand up and wearing the same clothes that he was in so heaven knows yeah, I mean, it's a good job, I suppose, that the Russian Secret Service is not known for trying to... Generate compromise. Yeah. Like blackmail people. I mean, if that was what was... If that was something they did, then this would be really serious, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really would, though. Um, so we should go on to more serious matters, and that is, who had a worse week? Was it Boris Johnson or was it Nadim Sahawi? It's a very difficult question because Nadim Zahawi has certainly had a roller coaster of a week. Like jo- Johnson's kind of like he's been at a, like a low point, and then it's just gotten to its inevitable conclusion. Nadim Zahawi went from what was the education secretary? He was oh, yeah, he was education secretary. So an important role, but not one of the great offices as traditionally viewed. Should be viewed in that in a similar light, but yeah. like. But he's not historically viewed as one of them. Um, so he starts off as ed- education secretary. All of the stuff, like like Sunak resigns, f- manages to basically, I, I assume, cajole or or persuade Johnson to appoint him as as, as shadow chancellor. Uh, sorry, as chancellor seems to be loyal for about twelve hours. <laughs> Does a load of morning talk uh talk interviews on, on like Good Morning Britain and things like that. Including one on, on the Today programme, which had to be interrupted twice because ministers kept resigning, including one in the middle of a sentence while he was talking about why someone else resigned. It was Amazing. incredible to listen to. Oh um, but yeah so so he's doing that and then by the end of that day he was one of the people trying to persuade Boris Johnson, that his time was up and he needed to go. So, in some hand, in some ways, you could view that as a good, good political play. But then he goes on to announce his conservative leadership ambitions, gets a load of newspaper stories indicating that he's been playing dodgy dealings with his taxes, uh, and then, as of what well, a couple of hours ago this evening, uh, gets booted out. Of the of the leadership contest because he falls because he's not hit the threshold. So you missed a bit where he 
puts out a statement saying he wasn't going to resign, but didn't, but thought that Boris Johnson should stand down, but he wasn't going to resign. He would carry on as chancellor. <laughs> and yes, and then you've got the multiple investigations. And it, from someone who a few months ago would have seen like, uh, as you've said repeatedly on this podcast, the, the conservatives tend to go for outsiders. Yeah don't tend to go for the front runner. It's really only Boris Johnson's, the only front runner who's gone on to win the Tory leadership contest. Now, um, yeah, he's got a really good backstory, someone who's come from Iraq, couldn't speak English when he came here, so become a sort of self-made businessman, was the vaccines minister, and the government likes to take credit for the vaccine rollout, yeah. so he's a good emblematic of that. Would have been a serious... Uh, candidate it, it, to come from the outside, I managed to completely torpedo that in basically twenty four hours. Yeah, I think like, like you mentioned, like you know Johnson describing uh, Gove as a snake as like an insult. Like I feel like that's very apt as a as an insult and descriptor for for Zahawe. going from in twenty four hours to don't worry, I've got your back. Just make me the chancellor. To then, nah, you're done, mate. Like, that's not even, oh, the political reality setting in. That's, you've lied to, to Boris Johnson to probably to, to, to secure that. You've then had a difficult time justifying it to people. You've then realized, oh no, I'm screwed. If I, if I play the loyalist card here, I don't get to be leader. And it was, it was Michelle Donnellan as well, yeah. who I think did a very similar thing, was, uh, university's minister, then, took the role of education secretary when Zahawi went up only to then resign with, uh, with after 36 hours or something. Yeah. I think for me, it's not so much, I don't think it's a snake. I think it's just an issue of judgment, really. Once you have those big cabinet resignations happen, you'll basically defecate or vacate the bathroom territory, yeah. aren't you? And really, both Michelle Donaghan and Nadim Zahawi would have known the kind of promise that Boris Johnson was. Yeah. And it is their role then as senior politicians to make a judgment of what yeah so almost what you're going to do are you going to back him or sack him and i think it just shows a manifest lack of judgment which actually probably does disqualify him from being prime minister 100 percent, absolutely yeah i mean i think both of them were banking on johnson being a bit more um reasonable than he, than he turned out to be <laughs> Heaven, heaven help why they the story they of the Conservative Party from 2019 onwards we didn't realise we knew it'd be bad we didn't know he'd be this bad yeah um, but but yeah so I think they just thought well political reality is political reality like yeah it, he's he's huffing and puffing at the moment but by the end of the day he'll be he'll he'll come around to it we can get the men in grey suits in and he'll 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 resign you know uh, as, as any leader would do only to then basically find out that most political leaders in Britain are not sociopaths and <laughs> who are only in it for themselves. Well, no, and again, we we were once Boris Johnson has definitely tended some sort of resignation or spend some time sort of taking a step back and probably during the silly season look at his attempts to sort of best out the British Constitution, uh, but I, I think maybe they they assumed it was oh well well he'll resign. Either well, either they weren't banking or fifty people resigning. Yeah, which means they can't have had the best of contact with their colleagues, 
or they banked on, yes, Johnson yeah. being yeah. a decent chap and doing a decent thing. At which, which point they were probably going, well, I'm now Chatter of the Exchequer and Education Secretary. Yeah, I, 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 in some sort of Dominic Raab caretaker government or yeah. whatever, um, which obviously would be, yeah, really hilarious. Uh, what else has happened? Raymond Schiste ran for the leadership. Securing not a single vote? No, well, I, I think he, he, he dropped out before that happened, but, you know, it's... Uh, I've never always, even heard of him, had you? No, it's always nice to see former Labour councillors trying to make better, you know, doing my so fa- well. My, my, my favourite thing was, was part of his launch was the fact that it was a New Statesman article from, like, 2010? Something, yeah, like, something, something like, that. like that, which basically mentioned him as an up-and-comer. And it was just like, Mate, that's the best you got. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the whole point about being an up-and-comer from four, 11 years ago is that you then have to sort of rise, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, Kemi Badenoch done a very good job of being an up-and-comer, has managed to progress. You can see an actual kind of career progression for, for her, including running for the Conservative Party leadership, doing a reasonable job within the confines of that so far. Very, very, very unlikely to win, but probably gets oh, her a nice uh, probably gets her a nice cabinet position in some form, which I don't think she's had previously. So that's an that's an up and comers trajectory. Not I'm a backbench MP that nobody's ever heard of. Well, and th- this is the thing with these sort of leadership bits, isn't it? That I think you probably have to go in sort of genuinely assuming that you you'd win it. Um, but I think there are different forms of leadership bids, aren't there? There's there's ones where you get the impression it is to try and get themselves a cabinet role. Yeah, Badenoch, Braverman, Grant Shapps, I would imagine, fall into that kind of category. Now, sometimes that can go really, really... Well, sometimes it can go so well you accidentally end up winning, like Ed Miliband. Yeah. Sometimes it can go so badly it completely torpedoes your chance of getting a cabinet role. That's the way. Right. Uh, an estimate of A, of course, brings us nice to Jeremy Hunt, who was knocked out today, who managed to get 18 votes today, which is less than the 20 people who knew he needed to nominate him to get onto the ballot in the first place, presumably connected to the fact that he'd appointed Estimate Vey. Uh, he'd said that he would make Estimate Vey his deputy leader if he won, thereby alienating almost every single person in the Conservative Party. Yeah, and two people just went, no, nah, screw this, this isn't worth it. <laughs> I went to Tom Tugendhat, who uh, is with the other One Nation. Um, so I did get some Westminster gossip, actually, from Tom Tugendhat, who's the, the only of these leadership contenders I've met in person. Saw him on Erdogan High Street the day of the by-election. Oh, yeah. So wished him luck, and he was very gracious and Italian and charming about it. Um, to my well-placed Westminster sources say that he used to be something in the army. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've I've heard that. It's a bit like it's a bit like uh, Andy Burnham because you know he's he, he's from the north. I have, and uh, you know Tugendhat used to be in the army. Like it's it's the same thing. Basically. He doesn't mention it. He likes to keep on the lowdown. No, oh, absolutely, mm. yeah. So uh, who knows what his battle plan is now? Well, based on what he said so far, just falling in line with the rest of the uh, the, the hard right of the uh, of the Tory party, going off on anti woke and pro tax cut agenda, that's not at all feasible. Which we are going to talk about on Sunday's episode. So, if you want to hear all those incorrect predictions that we made over the last two months and mark our home at retrospectively, what would you have to do, Steve? 
Head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, where but for a few pounds every month you can help us keep the podcast going uh, and uh, gain access to some unique uh, content that goes out only to our backers over there. So Corey has already mentioned a couple of the pieces that went out this week of some kind of like initial reactions to the uh, big news that's obviously happened. I think uh, this week I also put up a bit of a... Uh, a little bit of a retrospective on, on on Johnson and what he's achieved, which was spoiler alert, not a lot. Um, Huge, if true, yeah, massively. Um, but yeah, so head over there, sign up. Uh, we'd love to see you, and uh, yeah. Our website's notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. James Crown designed our logo. Dave Depper composed our theme tune for Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. Uh, I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting. Mm-hmm.